church. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. Uh, we welcome you. As we uh, celebrate uh, this Sunday in, very, in a real respect, it's not different than other Sundays. Every Sunday we celebrate our risen Savior. But we do have it in our calendar, don't we, once a year to just give a special attention to it. So we're going to pause our series on the book of Numbers, and we're going to look at a particular text today to uh, refresh and renew our focus on what it means that Christ has risen. Uh, we've prayed for our time of worship. We've prayed for a time of giving. I want to ask you to join me in prayer for a time of receiving his word. Father, I I need you to get me out of the way. Uh, nobody's here to hear me. Uh, Father, we, as we open up your word, we pray that we, you would give us eyes to see what it says, hearts to receive it, uh, so that we can live in light of it, in response to it. God, we pray that this would literally be a life-changing event not just another service, Father. We want to encounter you. We ask that you would use this passage to shape us, and fashion us into the conformity of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the effect of uh, the resurrection is one that I think should make you uh, crazy. Should be a little bit crazy. Now, there are people in your life that you know, like, they're crazy about something. That person is a sports nut, you might say. Why? Because you walk in the house and the paraphernalia is everywhere. The first thing they show you is the glass case with the signed balls and the baseball cards that are worth this much. Somebody else is engaged in a sport of some kind, and it's what they think about. It's what they do. They wear the t-shirts, and they they live and breathe it, and they practice extra hard, and someone else uh, loves a hobby or something like that, and you would say that is a, a, a fill-in-the-blank nut, right? Somebody that's crazy for something. And I think there's a part of us that instinctually, some of us gravitate toward things that we cling to, uh, and we just spend extra energy and extra attention on those things. And I want you to leave here today a little nutty, a little crazy, but for the right thing. If you ever have read through scripture and paid attention to the life of the Apostle Paul, he's kind of crazy. He's nuts. But he doesn't leave room for it to be just like a Paul thing. Wow, this dude's weird. He's kind of crazy. But everybody else can just be kind of chill. He invites us into the craziness um, and he, he wants us to follow him in that regard. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. You don't have to turn to chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be in chapter uh, 5. But when you eventually get to chapter 11, he gives you a little bit of a profile. I almost felt like going through the book of Acts. I encourage you to read through the book of Acts, read his story, and ask yourself if this man is sane. Okay, Ask yourself, is this man sane? what kind of sane person would continue to put himself, put himself in situations that are uh, bringing him nearly to death? But in chapter 11, he, he outlines some of this, and he is explaining to the Corinthians why he's better than all these people that they shouldn't be listening to. And I, he, he 
ironically in verse 23 says, I know this is, I sound like a madman, right? But he says, I, I, I labor more than all these other people in your life, so you should listen to me because of it. You should listen to me because I am crazy. These people, they're chill, they dial it back, they live life, yeah, one day to the next, take it easy. I don't take it easy, I'm nuts. And then he gives you his profile of insanity, his profile of how mad he is, just to enhance how completely bonkers the guy is, right? And then he explains that he has more imprisonments than everybody else. This is in chapter 11, verse 23. More imprisonments than anybody, countless beatings, and often near death. Let me just pause and remind you, he could escape those beatings. I mean, there's, there's times where he's beat to within an inch of his life and thrown outside the city. They think he's dead. He gets up and goes back in the city. Could you imagine family members, friends going, Paul, there are other cities. There are other places to take the gospel. Are you insane? Yes, he would say. Yes. Far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Could you imagine being beaten close to death one time? Countless times? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Could you imagine being tied to a pole and receiving 40 lashes? Not 40 spanks, right? 40, you could tell what happened to him when he takes his shirt off. And doing that five times? And then, uh, he says in verse 25, three times he was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Now you know in the Old Testament, what would they do to execute someone, kill them, stone them? He miraculously survives things that are supposed to kill you, and he keeps going back to it. What is wrong with this dude? Three times, now, now it's I shouldn't be alive episode, okay? Now he's encountering nature. Not the, the people aren't the enemy in, in these, but uh, it's on his journeys. He's trying to get to certain places. Three times he was shipwrecked. Could you imagine experiencing a shipwreck one time? I've never been in a shipwreck, and I don't like going out on the ocean. Nothing's ever happened to me. I don't have trauma. I see enough, you know, I shouldn't be alive episodes. Like 50% of them are out on the ocean. <laughs> shipwrecked once, shipwrecked twice. Do you think you might start getting a phobia with water? Three shipwrecks? Not three like, whoa, that was a little close. The ship was wrecked. <laughs> Floating around on a piece of mast or something. Get to shore. When's the next ship? There's a storm, Paul. I know. Let's go. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. There's no GPS. You just, there's no planes to flag down. He can't signal with a mirror. He's just floating out there. And he keeps going back. He says in verse 26, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers. Dude, stay out of the water. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, not my people. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. 
And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. His concern for the well-being of the people that he's trying to minister to tops all the other ones. I'm concerned. I'm worried. I'm worried about the direction of these churches. I'm worried about the protection of these churches. I'm worried about the, the fact that some of these churches don't get it. They don't get it. And I want you to get it, Corinthians. You're following the wrong leaders. You're listening to the comfortable stuff. Lean into the uncomfortable stuff. Live the uncomfortable life. I love that uh, the only physical description we have of, of Paul, I, don't, I mean, it's outside of the Bible. I don't know how accurate it is, but he's described as a bald man of small stature. I already feel pretty good about that. <laughs> but a small stature guy, skinny, crooked legs, crooked nose. I mean, how crooked would you be if you experienced all this? Like, is that natural crookedness? Or is <laughs> he just, dude shouldn't be alive, and he's walking around like, where can I go next? He's not a, an elite warrior. He's not a UFC fighter. He's not, he doesn't do Greco-Roman wrestling. He's a, an author. He's a church planner. And there's a supernatural energy that God has given him. I think some, a lot of those deaths probably is God's miraculous working to save him. But the man is crazy. He's crazy. I want you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, earlier in that letter, of course. He's reminding them, even here, before he gets to that long list, he reminds them that, and here when he says we, he mainly means himself, at sort of the middle of chapter 4, that we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may always may also be manifested in our bodies. How do we manifest the resurrection of Christ? How do we manifest the life of Jesus to a watching world? You have to be crazy to do it. Otherwise, what's to pay attention to? And he's trying to convince the Corinthians, as he tells the Thessalonians, and as earlier he told the Corinthians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. What's it like to imitate Christ? What did Christ do? Well, he endured hardship. He endured Whippings and beatings, even to death on a cross. That's something a world will pay attention to. Nobody pays attention to somebody not making any kind of noise at all. You go crazy about something, someone's going to pay attention. Well, the point of it isn't just so that people would pay attention, but the point of it is that if Jesus really died and really rose again, that's supposed to change us in a certain way. And Paul is saying, the reason why I'm nuts is because of Easter. I mean, because of the resurrection, because of the death and resurrection of Christ, I've, I'm totally nuts about it. I'm crazy about it. I, I eat, drink, and sleep it. And when I can't eat, drink, or sleep, it's because I'm thinking about that. I'm doing that. I'm promoting that. I'm pushing that into a lost and watching world. If you join me in the middle of chapter 5, we'll just look at a few verses here. We're going to just be 13 to 15 for this morning. Y'all that are regulars know I usually take bigger chunks than that. But for today, we're going to drop in on those just three verses there. Now notice he's giving, him, he's giving the Corinthians, this church in Corinth, the reason why he's nuts. Okay? That's why he starts out in verse 13, for if we are beside ourselves, 
It is for God. What does he mean by uh, uh, beside ourselves? Some of your translations might say, out of my mind. Yeah, that's what he means. I know, as you're reading my letter, he's telling the Corinthians, I know what people are saying about me. Don't listen to that guy. He's nuts. I'm saying, listen to me because I'm nuts. And I'm going to give you a reason why I'm crazy. The reason why I'm crazy is not because I haven't been, I, I, I've, I've been misdiagnosed about something. It's not because we haven't discovered a certain medicine yet. It's not because I don't have anything better to do. He grounds it in theology. His theology alters his life. It's not something he adopts, puts in a file, or sticks on a refrigerator magnet. It's not a bumper sticker. Christianity for him. And he gives them the reason, if we're beside ourselves, and again, he's putting himself in the plural, he's talking about himself. If I'm nuts, if I'm out of my mind, it's for God. And if there's any reason to be completely fixated on something, is that a good reason? For God? Do you have people in your life like, oh, he, why are you always fixated on the God thing? Why can't, it be, why can't you think about other topics? I think about other topics. I think about all topics under the rubric of God. It's how I critique movies. It's how I listen to songs. It's how I parent my kids. It's how I engage in the workplace. I am a Christian. I'm not this, this, this. Oh, yeah, Christian too. I am a Christian this. I am a Christian that. I do that Christianly. It's all consuming for Paul. If I'm nuts, it's because it's for God. If I'm in my right mind, it's for you. Now, it looks like what he's saying is, I'm not sure if I'm nuts. If I am nuts, it's because I love God so much. But if I'm not nuts and I am in my right mind, it's because I'm serving you. What he's saying is, there's a sense in which I am crazy, and there's a sense in which it's not very crazy at all. There's a sense in which I'm crazy because I push after God, even if they kill me, even if they beat me, even if the ship is going to wreck a fourth time. I go after God and the mission that he's given me. I push hard. I go. And if that's crazy, call me crazy. That's me. But there's another sense in which it's not insane. If it weren't for me, y'all wouldn't be a church, he's telling them. If it weren't for me, you wouldn't have been ministered to. If it weren't for me, planting Apollos wouldn't have had anything to build on. You wouldn't have a pastor today if it weren't for me. You wouldn't be saved if it weren't for me. Somebody had to go to the Gentiles, that's me. And I had to get beaten to take it to you. So you should be glad I'm crazy. Because if it weren't for my craziness, you wouldn't be here. It's for benefit. It's for you. So he's not undecided whether he's crazy or not. There's a sense in which he is crazy, but it does make sense. Why? Because real crazy doesn't have purpose. Real crazy doesn't have an end to it. You're just running around, you know. If you ask somebody who's just like a rabid lunatic over a pop singer, you're like, why? And if you just keep asking why, it just gets dumb really fast. I don't know. Do you know the person? No. Do you know what they're like? Not really. I just really love their songs. Oh, why? But with Paul, if you keep pushing it, he's like, yeah, you want to talk? You want to talk about reasons why? Your life changed. Let's start there. Let's start with the people that I've baptized in this congregation, he wants to say. So there's a reason to it. So he's not inviting them into imitating him for purposeless craziness just running around, just being energetic for the purpose of being energetic. But it's to minister, and it's to serve. You would have completely missed today's message 
if you go home and you're like, man, I got to get crazy. I got to just start doing stuff in my life. I've got to pack my calendar chock full of just doing stuff. And you're just running around doing stuff all the time. And then one day somebody asks you, why do you do those things? And you're like, uh, I don't know. I, I just don't want blank spaces in my calendar because I, I know I'm, Pastor Lucas said uh, last Easter I'm supposed to be crazy. Crazy for what? If you run around doing a bunch of things and at the end of the day you're not serving anybody, nobody's impacted by you, nobody's changed by your life, no one else has experienced the grace that you're experiencing, you're not channeling or funneling what God is doing in your life to other people, then that's just crazy. But if it's a, 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 a purposeful energy, then it's not insane. It looks wild, but it's for a purpose. He's loving God, he's serving God, and the effect of it is for you, he's telling them. It's for other people, it's not for myself. And we don't get to say, wow, I'm really wild for God if no one else around us gets affected by it. That's just wild. Crazy for God? That means other people get affected by it. That means God is using you to make other people crazy for him as well. How do we know this isn't just Paul? How do we know this isn't just Paul? Well, there's a sense in which we're not all going to imitate Paul. We're not all going to give up our careers and start traveling the world planting churches. Everyone's not going to do that. Everyone's not called to do that. But we don't want to. It would be a mistake to say, well, that's Paul. He's crazy for God. The rest of us can kind of be like, God is pretty cool. We could be God is pretty cool, and then some people like Paul, they're going to be like, God is crazy awesome. He completely takes over my life, and they'll travel the world and everything like that. The rest of us, hey, we have things to do. We have careers to pursue. Like somebody's got to do this job. Somebody's got to own this company. Someone's got to hire employees. We can't all go abroad. Some of us have to be home. Well, that's, that's missing the point. Paul doesn't want you to imitate him by being a missionary. Paul wants you to imitate him by being crazy for God in whatever you do. This is why he tells the Corinthians, right? You have spiritual gifts, and the purpose of your spiritual gifts is to serve one another. We all have different kinds of spiritual gifts. You can extrapolate that. We have different career paths. We have different uh, abilities and talents. And so God doesn't call us all into the same thing. We're not all going to be in full-time ministry. That's not just fine. That's great. If we were all in full-time ministry, what am I here for? <laughs> right? You're supposed to be doing those different things throughout uh, the world. What Paul's inviting them to is not to follow him on missionary journeys. What Paul is inviting them to is a passion for God. How do we know that? We know that because he gives them the reason for his craziness. The reason for the craziness isn't missions itself. It's the love of Christ, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Why, do, why am I crazy? Because the love of Christ controls me. The love of Christ hems me in. The love of Christ puts barriers so I can't go this way and I can't go that way. I have to do the things that God is calling me to do in front of me. Something has taken over my life where I don't have control. God has this control. And the way that God has purchased that control, the way that God has uh, applied that control to my life is love. Not command and not fear, although those are, those are elements. But what he's tying it to here is the, the love of Christ 
And because of the love of Christ, he is controlled, he is constrained, he is hemmed in. I remember one pastor many years ago, as he was explaining the the Greek word behind control, he talked about uh, getting off of a train. Uh, I forget what stop it was and what country he was in, but getting off a train where it's so crowded, you really don't have control as to where to go. It's you got to follow the crowd because you're you're pressed in by so many people. That might sound a little claustrophobic, so I don't know if that's too bad of an analogy. But it's 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 the lack of options here is what Paul is getting at. It's not like this craziness for God is one of three different options. You could be kind of ho-hum, you could be kind of whatever, and then you can go crazy. If you've experienced the love of Christ, the result is a crazy life. And I think we can look at our lives and we go, is our lives just so mundane and uncrazy that I have to now question, do I really get the love of Christ? Because Paul's argument is, I'm crazy because of this truth. I think implied, if you grasp this truth, you'll be crazy too. You'll understand what I'm doing. You'll be driven by it. You'll be controlled by it. You'll be hemmed in by it. Where nothing, nothing else in your life becomes the focus. Your life is centered on this new controlling focus. That is the love of Christ. Now, some people... You know, debate whether he, what he means by love of Christ. And I think this is important for us because he could mean love of Christ for me or he could mean my love of Christ. But there's no me or my, so it's hard to tell which one is it. Love of Christ, the, Christ, the love that Christ has for me, love of Christ, the, the love that I have for Christ, the love of Christ. Well, grammatically it can go either way. I think what he's saying is, I'm controlled by the love he has for me. Why? Because immediately what he starts describing is what Christ did for him, not what he does for Christ. Check it out. If we're beside ourselves, if we're nuts, if I'm crazy, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, if I'm sane, it's because it's for you. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. One has died for all, therefore all have died. You might say, I thought this is sounding like a Good Friday service. Well, look at the last word of verse 15. We'll get there. I mean, it's all one package. If he stayed dead, it would be a problem. If he stayed dead, he wouldn't be able to apply anything. Who's controlling us now? Of course, he has to rise. But something happened in that death that demonstrated the love of God for Paul. Something happened in that death that demonstrated God's love for you. Now, if you're out there swimming, even though you've been warned about rivers and oceans from the Holy Word of God, uh, you're out there swimming anyway. And somebody jumps in and starts trying to grab you and put you in a hole and starts trying to drag you to shore. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm saving your life. No, you're not. I'm out here swimming. I'm trying to snorkel, man. You're ruining my vacation. It's just annoying, isn't it? It's offensive even for someone to come in trying to save you when you're not drowning. You're out there swimming. You're having fun. You like the water. But if you're drowning and someone comes and pulls you to shore, you have the opposite reaction, don't you? 
Thank you. Is there anything I could do for you? I feel like I owe you. The difference between the two is how you view your situation. Now, some of us may be in here and we're like, died for me. For what? What does it mean he died for me? It only matters if you come to reckon with the fact that you're supposed to die. And that's offensive. That's offensive. For a preacher to stand up here and tell you, you sin, you offend a holy God. He's holy, and because of your actions, your thoughts, your behaviors that are unholy, you've offended this God. Guess what? That God is the source of life, and if you've offended the source of life, you don't get life. What is not life? Death! Is that offensive? It's not cancel culture offensive. It's not because we're so sensitive. Anything, you you wear the wrong color and somebody's going to hashtag I'm offended. That's a problem, but that's not this. This is literally offensive. But for some of us, hopefully at least most of us in here, we've come to grips with that offense. Because even though it's offensive, if it's true, if it's accurate, and what I'm facing is an eternity of separation from God, an eternal death, is there a way out? If you could get over that hump of offense, the next question is, can I get out of it? Well, you can't get out of it. Someone has done it for you. Someone has to die that death for you. It's called substitution. So what he's saying is, I'm controlled by God's love because even though he didn't have to do it, even though he's the one whom I have offended, he takes it for me. My punishment for offending God, he takes it for me so I can be with God. Why? Because he needs me? He needs me to live? No, he doesn't need me. It's love. And Paul is so struck by that fact. Now, you read the book of Acts in the beginning, he was persecuting Christians, right? Then Jesus plucked them out of it. I'm changing you. As for some of us, we look back in our lives and it's obvious to us how much we've offended God. It's so dirty. It's so shameful that when God turns us around, we've got this passion. We, we know we were drowning. For fact, we were drowning. And so we worship the lifesaver. But for some of us, we just haven't come to grips with that yet. We're kind of like, I, 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 I don't know how long I would have lasted out there, but I'm pretty good out there. Other people were splashing and drowning and gulping and swallowing water. But I mean, you know, I'm kind of chill. Then maybe you said a prayer, maybe somebody dunked you in the tank, but your life is going to be chill. With somebody who's crazy drowning and then rescued and brought to shore, now they're crazy living. See? If you come to grips with the fact that that death should have been mine and Jesus moved me out of the way and he stood in front of that oncoming train, now I'm going to live for him. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care about the direction of culture. I'm living for my Savior. And Paul's saying, that's what drives me nuts. It's all-consuming. Let's stop half-stepping it. Let's stop playing around. If we deal with the offense, that offense will change us. Because it's God's love that motivates Paul. And it's God's love that's supposed to motivate us. You'll notice, Paul doesn't say that Jesus died just so that we can die. We did die in him. In other words, God basically counts it, the death that you should have had, he counts it like it's done already because it's done for you. But it's not just so that you could die, so that you can live. 
He says, we've concluded this, that one, that's Jesus, has died for all, therefore all died, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Here's how we know that Paul does not mean Jesus died this effective death, this life-changing death for everyone in the world. All doesn't mean every person who's ever lived. It can't. Why? Because of the effect of that death. The effect of that death is control. See? The effect of the substitution is a life change. There's not a category of Jesus stepped in, took that hit for me, and I get to be like, thanks, let me go step on the train tracks again. Let me go out drowning again. No. The effect is now my life has changed. I don't have to return to those tracks. I don't have to return to the slavery, to sin. And that's what he explains here. He died for all. Why did he die for all? So that those who live as a result of his death might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died and was raised for their sake. So Paul's argument is if you claim the benefits of the cross, then your life looks a certain way. You see how he's flipping it on them. You started out, Corinthians, by listening to people saying, don't follow Paul because he's crazy. And what I'm telling you is if you, unless you're crazy, you might not even be in. But if you've grappled with the fact that you're the one that should have died, Jesus put on the cloak of humanity, took that death for you so that you can live, then you will live not apart from him, but for him, for his sake. You wake up in the morning, what am I doing today for Jesus? You look at your year, what am I doing this year for Jesus? You're going to move? The first thing on your mind isn't your career or that job or that school. The first thing on your mind is how am I going to live for Jesus there? You're thinking about marriage? The first thing on your mind isn't how hot the person is, how much chemistry we have. The first thing on your mind is, is this person in hot pursuit of Jesus Christ? Because if this person is not in hot pursuit of Jesus Christ, and I am, we are incompatible. I don't care what the enneagram says. Is Jesus Christ number one? Paul's saying, it's not just me. It's you. You should be joining me in this nuttiness. You should be thinking all the time, right? What, what, how do I drive after Jesus Christ? So other people will say the same things of you. Can you be beaten within an inch of your life and go back and still say Jesus? Can you have a gun pointed at your head and not deny Christ? The problem some of us have is we think, yeah, I think in the right moment, God might give me what I need to die for him. How about in the right moment, God gives you what you need to live for him? We don't even start our day with quiet times. (laughs) Can we start there? As I was writing this message, I thought, man, what are some crazy things we can start doing? I thought, you know what would be crazy? You know what would be crazy? If we were all interviewed and all, every single one of us like, yeah, we start our day with the Lord. We start our day with the Lord. That way it informs all my decisions that day. That way scripture is ruminating in my mind that day. That's not crazy, but let's, let's start there and then we can get crazy. We can't get to the crazy part if we're not doing the normal things. If we're not doing the normal things. Here's the test. You think about people that are regulars in your life, not people that, you know, you've been out of touch for 15 years, you barely know them, you're hardly friends on Facebook, whatever. I'm talking about people that kind of know you, they're in your life with regularity. If they were asked, 
What really drives this person? Well, what gets them up in the morning? What makes them do what they do? What do they talk about all the time? What is the filter with which they view everything? Will any of them say, oh, Jesus. Jesus. I mean, I don't get it, but the Jesus thing, maybe we need to bring back the, G- the DC Talk Jesus Freak shirts. Right? I mean, that's, that's what that was about. The Jesus Freak, not just that, Jesus. To be crazy about him. Why? Because he did something crazy for us. We'll never earn that back. It's not like, oh, we're going to pay him back. But it's because he has changed the love center of our lives. And guess what it was before? Before the experience of the cross, before God has changed your life in Jesus Christ, the love center of your life was you. That's why he says we no longer live for ourselves. Those of us who are truly Christian, what were we before? We live for ourselves. You might be like, well, I'm a philanthropist, and I go out there every weekend, and I help the, the homeless, the helpless, and the hapless. That's great. You know why ultimately you do that, though? You. It makes you feel good. I'm sure what makes you feel good is you benefit other people. I understand that. You don't have to be a Christian to help other people. We're not saying only Christians help people. That's stupid. What Paul is saying is at the end of the day, something else is driving you. It's not Christ. We live for ourselves, but when we're changed, we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for ourselves. That means I dare not wake up and start this day thinking, what am I going to do? What do I want to do? What do I want to eat? Who do I want to talk to? I don't live for me. What if we just start the day? What does Jesus want out of me today? What does God want out of me today? What kind of life can I live today, this week, this month, that would make people around me, without a doubt, label me bonkers? Because I'll never withstand beatings if I can't withstand a devotional time. This isn't meant to excoriate you. This isn't meant to spank you. I mean, if you feel spanked, well, that's okay. Whatever gets us in line. But it's to encourage you that what will motivate you is not God standing up there with folded arms going, you haven't done your quiet times today. No, no, no. The motivation is Jesus on the cross. He did that for me. I can take five minutes. He did that for me. I can have an awkward conversation with a coworker. He did that for me. I can do something ethically correct, even though I might get fired for it. He did that for me. I can lose a couple friends on Facebook. See, if your orientation isn't God's command, your orientation is his compassion and love for you. That is the life changer. Not a God who's waiting for you to show what you've got. A God who's already showed you what he's got on the cross. And your love for him stems from his love for you, not the other way around. You don't love God so that maybe he'll love you. You love God because you're so shocked at not just that he kind of loves you, the extent to which he loves you. He took death on your behalf even though he used the offended party. And then he rose to say, come on, now you're going to live a certain way on the other side of that death I took for you. You're going to live a certain way. So let's go out there and live passionate, zealous, vigorous lives in worship and pursuit of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.
Father, as we close in this song, we ask that you would allow our hearts to rise to the truth of this anthem. And we would leave here with the truths of this scripture passage ringing in our hearts and our minds. We cannot do it on our own. When we feel tired, when we feel beaten down, when we feel scared, God, would you allow us to remember the cross and the empty tomb. May that be our motivation even now as we sing. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.